0: places that you saw on the map where we've moved, he's opened doors that we could never have opened ourselves and helped us to go through them. Even sometimes doors we thought were too hard to go through, he, he helped us. And so I want to tell you one of my favorite stories uh, that encourages me every time I tell it, and it is about a uh, nut that grows in Brazil. I wonder if you could possibly guess what nut this would be. Brazil nut, exactly right. I know you're all thinking it. Well, most people don't know that a Brazil nut grows in a pod like this. It kind of like, uh, it's like an orange with the segments of the nut inside. I mean, it's orange in shape, not in texture. It's a very hard nut. And I love the story of the Brazil nut because it's humanly impossible to plant a Brazil nut tree. Only God can plant a brazil nut tree. And you may be wondering, why is that? Because man has all the technology and all that know-how. But the circumstances that have to happen, the sequence of circumstances can only happen in one place in the world, and that is the Amazon jungle. For one thing, uh, the brazil nut tree has a very, very tightly coiled flower. And there is only one bee in the Amazon jungle that is able to pollinate that little tightly closed flower. And the other thing about that particular bee is that he doesn't really care much about the Brazil nut tree, but he likes a certain orchid. And if the orchid happens to be growing in the vicinity of the Brazil nut tree, he may go from the orchid and and spend time over the Brazil nut tree. But it has to have that orchid nearby. And then after he uh, pollinates the the, uh, flower, and the seed, the plant begins to grow. It takes years and years for a Brazil nut tree to be uh, producing. Uh, It has to be 150 feet tall almost for it to start producing. And um, when it finally starts producing, this big pod will come crashing down through the Amazon rainforest canopy and hit the ground, but it will not break open. It's a huge, thick, hard pod. And there's only one seed-eating animal that can penetrate this pod with his teeth, called an agouti. And there was a picture of an agouti on our display board if you want to see what they look like. They're the size of a cat, but they are a rodent. And this agouti will uh, bite through the the pod, and he will eat some of the Brazil nuts, and he will plant some for later, like a squirrel, or plant some, bury some. And then uh, if he forgets to come back and get them, then it, it... may grow into a Brazil nut tree if it just happens to have a, some uh, a space for the ray of sun to come through the rainforest canopy and hit the spot where the seeds have been left. So when I think of all of this sequence of events that have to happen, the, the orchid and the bee and the agouti and the sunlight, I just think how, how God is so aware of every detail of everything he's created. He's, he made something seemingly impossible happen with the Brazil nut. And I think if he cares so much about the details of this crazy nut, he cares more about us. He knows every detail of our lives, every struggle, every victory, every worry, everything. And he knows all the details of how it's all going to work out if we're trusting him. We can't always see how it's going to work out, but we know that God knows everything and he's sovereign and he's love so the brazil nut story just is constant reminder to me that god is good and god is able and i can entrust him with every detail of my life he's got it in his hands amen
1: thank you honey can you help me with that somebody help me with that over here Good morning, it's good to be here, yeah, wow, good to worship with you and uh, lift up the name of our Lord this morning and uh, remember that he is the king of all, of all. he is the sovereign Lord, he is the creator of the universe and uh, it is a privilege, it is an honor to serve the Lord Jesus Christ in Brazil, South America. Uh, it is a country that's very dear to my life. I grew up there. My parents served as missionaries, as Steve alluded to, and so I grew up being Brazilian and American at the same time. Sometimes I get confused. When I came to the States and went to Spring Arbor University, all I could talk about was Brazil. So I gained the, the nickname Brazil nut. And uh, that's, that's true. I'm still nuts about Brazil. Uh, the Lord called us back to Brazil. And uh, since 1988, we've been serving there. And uh, that's our home. I was talking to Kathy before the service. Uh, as a missionary kid and now as a missionary, wherever I go, I'm home. Brazilians say when you go to their house, a casa é sua. A casa é sua. A casa pertence a você. The house is yours. This is your home. And I think that's what we as Christians should do, should be, as we welcome people from uh, all over the world that are coming to us in our country, here in the U.S. Welcome. The house is yours. And uh, it's been a great joy for us to be a part of that. Uh, This last term, uh, we were so surprised with what the Lord did. Uh, You know, uh, the restrictions of the pandemic brought some roadblocks, but some doors were closed, and uh, large doors were opened for us. And uh, I was asked by our Brazilian church leadership to return to São Paulo. We had been serving in Brasilia, the nation's capital, Uh, for seven years until 2019 and then they asked us to come and serve back in Sao Paulo. You see, the Free Methodist Church in Brazil began in Sao Paulo with Japanese immigrants and uh, then now we have two, we have uh, the Japanese uh, and we have the Brazilian church and I'm right in between uh, the American kind of And uh, it's great to work with both of those churches. And uh, the leadership of our church asked us to come back to Sao Paulo, uh, where about 70% of our church membership is to start and revitalize our seminary, actually. And uh, it needed revitalization. We were down to eight students. And uh, we're a free Methodist seminary, and we had two free Methodist students. (laughs) So something wasn't going in the right direction, and our churches were sending their, the people who were preparing for ministry to other seminaries. So the Lord has been so gracious in these last four years. We started with those eight students, and so we have 147 students now. And, uh, and we're reaching uh, our church members in uh, other parts of Brazil and uh, as academic director, I just see how God is moving in the hearts and lives of men and women. Our youngest student is 18 and our oldest is 74. The average, the average age is 41. And to see on Zoom, anybody know what Zoom is? Boy, I got a quick introduction to Zoom about three years ago when I was started to teach in Zoom. And I'll be starting to teach a module in our seminary in Brazil here this week, right right here from Michigan. I'll be starting to teach the book of Acts. Hope and I team teach Acts in Portuguese uh, to our Brazilian students. We have a student from Angola. We have a student from Paraguay. We have a student from Japan. Wow. Besides the, the 10 states in Brazil. Folks, I couldn't have dreamed this up. I did not plan that when I went to to help the seminary. It's like the Lord said, Okay, I'm opening this door, walk through it, don't stand around. My mission will not be thwarted by by roadblocks. It reminds me of Jesus on his road on the road to Jerusalem. They tried to divert him to the right and to the left, and he said, Uh uh, I've got to focus. And that's what we as the church need. We need to keep focused on Christ and His mission for us and not get distracted by what he has what other things show up along the way so uh, we just kept following that first year 2020 that's when the right the beginning of the pandemic uh, we could no longer meet in person and um, we have in brazil um, a texting service i guess you would call it called whatsapp some of you know whatsapp okay everybody else in the world but the united states uses it it seems like And so we have pastors groups in the Free Methodist Church and all of our pastors are on those groups. So I just said, you know what, I'm going to send out uh, a notice that we're going to be having our confessional classes on the theology of Wesley and history of the Free Methodist Church and the polity of the Free Methodist Church. And we normally have, you know, half a dozen students every year. Well, I sent that out. And we had 53 students enrolled, and I go, wow! I didn't realize that there was this much interest in learning about biblical truth, as John Wesley was so, so faithful to biblical truth. And uh, Hope taught that first class, and then I said, we're gonna go online, real time, Zoom, we used uh, the other a media platform for uh, called Google Classroom. And so we started using that in Brazil, and uh, wow, we're seeing the Lord work in marvelous ways in Brazil. Thank you for your prayers, Ipsy, Free Methodist Church. Thank you for being right up next to us in prayer and giving. We appreciate it. We are your presence in Brazil. And uh, God sent his own. Son. And there's something about a church that sends its own flesh and blood to serve in another world. God, Jesus left his culture. Perfect. Kevin, one day we're going to be there. Amen. And Jesus left that culture, that perfect culture. Not, you no. Know, And he dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And that's what the impulse of the church is to to prepare and send its own. And I pray that there will be people here in this congregation as the Lord leads, just as the Lord led the church in Antioch to send their best. Paul, the great theologian. Barnabas, the great encourager. Oh my, we need encouragement on the mission field as we go, that uh, this church would send and go and uh, be, be fully behind those that the Lord sent. Uh, it's been great to be a part of your, your ministry in Brazil. Thank you so much. During the pandemic, we had, um, we had a lot of restrictions and uh, there was a park near our house that I would go and have my devotions, and that park closed down because it was a gated park. So I went to uh, two other parks fairly near our house there in San Jose dos Campos. And, uh, <clears throat> and then I would notice this guy coming all the time. And he would come, sit down on a bench, right? His He was totally focused. And, uh, and I would see him at both parks, and uh, on Wednesday nights, it was my habit to go uh, and 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 pray and read scripture uh, just with myself at this one park. And then one day I was at that park, and he and this man, I found out later his name was Juan, Juan Luis, he came up to me and said, uh, I really don't like to ask, but I really don't know what I'm going to eat tonight. Can you, you know, he asked for money, for, and I gave it to him, and we struck up a conversation and found out a little bit about João. I had noticed him, he had never noticed me. So I said, you know, I've noticed you come and you write. What are you writing? Oh, I just like to write. Found out later he writes beautifully. Just a marvelous calligraphy. But he had been, found out later, that he had been wandering between Sao Paulo and Rio. And and San Jose is right near Sao Paulo, but it's in between Sao Paulo and Rio on the main highway. And he stopped in in Saint Jose, and he said, this place received me pretty well. He was living on the streets, and uh, I said to him, well, you know, I come here every Wednesday. How about it? you mind talking a little bit and studying Scripture a little bit? And he said, yeah, I love it. So the following Wednesdays for the next two years, I met with João. Then I found out that he worked out in an open park. And then my wife and I, we celebrated his birthday there. From time to time, we would have him into our home. And then he started attending the Free Methodist Church that we attended on Sunday mornings. And uh, one day he came up to me and he said, the place where I'm staying, which I really like, it, it's, a, it's a house that was for rent. And it just had the right place for me to be, to sleep the nights there. And, and, uh, but they rented it and so I can't stay there anymore. So I said, well, let's find a place for you. And we did, found a little room. First few months I helped him uh, with his rent, and then later he was able to find a job. And uh, he had been troubled because uh, 10 years earlier, his mother and his son both committed suicide within a short period of time, and that just devastated him. Yeah. That's why he was wandering between Rio and Sao Paulo and Sao Paulo and Rio. And I said, the Lord brought you to San Jose. This is your city. And uh, from time to time, he would want to go away. I said, no, 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 no. God brought you here. When things got a little tough, I said, come on, come on. This is your place. This is the place that God has for you. And we're still in the middle of that story. Because his family lives in Sao Paulo, in very bad situation. And I said, you know, João, this is my vision for you. I want you to get established here, get established here, and then bring your children and your wife to come to live with you. So be praying for João. But, you know, because of the pandemic, or because of other restrictions, we don't stop being the church. we got to keep moving ahead. Would you open with me in John chapter 10? A situation that seemed very difficult for our Lord. John chapter 10, verse 6. Will you stand with me to read this uh, passage? Actually, the reading of God's word is probably the most important thing you're going to hear from my lips this morning. (laughs) Oh, may his word find a way into your heart, into your mind, to your soul this morning. This is nourishment It's life for us. John chapter 10, verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Father, I pray that as we allow these words to fall on our hearts and our minds, that you would make these words come alive. And may the words of my mouth, may the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, our God, and our Redeemer. Amen. May be seated. Uh, They didn't understand Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He was very clear. But the Jewish, the, the Pharisees did not understand. He was about as clear as you can be. But one man who listened to Jesus did understand. He was the blind man. The blind man. And uh, in chapter 9, we see that Jesus moves from the great affirmation, I am who I am, as he's moving away from the temple, he's confronted by this blind man. And the disciples, the disciples ask a very vital question: Who sinned? Who sinned? The issue of sin is important in human existence. Who sinned that this man became blind. Was it he who sinned, which is ridiculous. He was born blind. What in the world did he do? But anyways, Jesus was okay with that. Or his parents. And that's why he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither his parents nor he sinned, although sin is a key issue here. But that the glory of God be displayed in him. There are times when human handicaps on the physical plane reveal the glory and the power of our God. You see, we're all born blind. That is the spiritual truth. This man was born blind physically. And in this encounter with Jesus, he came to see, not just physically, he came to see spiritually. And those who had physical sight were shown to be blind. Hmm. That's what Jesus was getting across here. You see, our physical, material interactions are merely A symbol of spiritual truth, and Jesus knew that. And in cross-cultural mission missionary work, we look at the Gospels and we see how God wants to communicate Himself and His truth. He wants to communicate who He is, and He uses the elements in creation to reveal to us His salvation pedagogical elements in creation to show us who He is, who we are, and what He brings into our existence. Isn't that wonderful? That's who our God is. He is a God who shows us who He is, and He calls us into fellowship with Him. Oh, that gets me excited. In Him was life, and in that life was the light of men darkness light death life chapter 3 of john john especially shows us the cross cultural element in the gospel where john where jesus says to nicodemus you must be born again now, anybody here not been born mhm we have all been born We cannot deny that. And that's true anywhere on this planet. Birth is universal. So God uses this physical, material element in our existence to show something deeper. He wants to communicate himself. He wants to communicate his truth. He wants to communicate that he wants you to be a part of him in Christ Jesus. In him was light, and that light was the light of men. Wow. So, Jesus uses birth, he uses life and death, he uses, oh, water. Any place on this planet that doesn't have water, or where you don't need water to exist. And he's, he was thirsty. Oh, but he met up with a, a person who was much more thirsty than him. She came to get water. You know, this, you know this story, don't you? The Samaritan woman. And he said to her, if you knew the water, I have to give you. I wouldn't be asking you for water. You would be asking me for water, and I would give you a water that satisfies. Oh, it satisfies. You see, God wants to communicate himself to us, his truth, and he offers living water to us. And in that same chapter, food. We need food. (laughs) <laughs> the disciples came from Sychar and they came to him and they said, Pastor, you're hungry. And he said, my food is different than the food that you're offering. My food sustains the spirit. Any place in this planet that there isn't a harvest, where you don't need to plant and then you have to harvest in order to be fed, in order to have food. No. And so Jesus says to the disciples, look out there. It looks, it looks physically, materially like the harvest is only going to happen in four months. Oh no, the harvest is here. It's now. See, in Christ we see the material, physical elements with their deep, spiritual, and eternal truth and anybody had to come through a door to get here this morning how many doors did you have to go through are you getting the idea God wants to communicate himself to you Jesus said I am the entrance I am the door he who comes in through me will be saved Hallelujah. He is the door. In him we are included. Without him we are excluded. And that's what's very clear here. Uh, He heals the blind man. You know how he does that? He goes down and he spits on the ground. Yeah, he spits. And he and he makes that that dust into mud okay full of symbolic here and he rubs that mud on the eyes of that blind man and he says go and wash away the mud and you will see you see darkness muddies our lives makes us dirty and ugly but when Jesus shows up, he washes away our sin. And the washing, and you can read this in chapter 9, after he washed, he saw. <laughs> That's what happens in our souls when we receive the grace of Jesus in our hearts. He washes and we can see. We can really see. So this man, he was, born, he, was, he was, sight came to him at two different levels. And he was a display of that. And the people who saw Jesus, saw the man, received sight, couldn't believe it. And that's the key belief. If you don't believe, you won't see. If you don't believe, you will remain blind. But he believed. They didn't. And they kept asking him, no, you're not the guy who who was blind. And so they interrogated the parents. And they said, yeah, he's our son. Yeah, he was born blind. But how he came to see, we don't know. Because they were afraid, and the text, the biblical text is very clear about this. They did not want to be cast out, thrown out of the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, because the Jewish synagogue was the place where in the community you belonged and you were safe and you were secure. And they didn't want to lose that security. They didn't want to lose that security. And then they kept interrogating this this blind man. You were blind, right? Yeah. Finally, the third time they asked him, they said, do you want to become Jesus' disciples too? And the text says that they started cussing him out. That's my version. You're his disciples. We don't want anything to do with Jesus. You see how blind these people here? The Son of God, the King of the universe, the great I Am was in front of them, and they refused to see. They refused to believe. And we see a contrast. And I believe John, when he wrote the gospel, he meant to, he meant to portray this contrast between the, the lucid thinking of somebody who comes to see in Christ and the blindness of those who refuse Christ. And he said, Could, can anybody not from God open the eyes of a blind man who was born from birth blind? How can you say that he's not from God? You know what happens to people when they're so steeped in their blindness? They lose their rationality. And so, when they could no longer argue with the truth and the lucidity and the clarity of his argument, they said, You're a sinner. You're excluded. You're canceled from the synagogue. We don't like your narrative. But he was the most lucid of anybody there. I think that's so patently clear. In this text. Why? Because he had received sight twice. And the sight was getting stronger. As opposition came to him, he seemed to see clearly. And then the text right here in chapter 10, in chapter 9, verse 35, when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, When he found him, so Jesus went after him when he had been excluded from the synagogue, the place of security, the place where you belong, okay? He found him and said, do you believe? Here's that believe issue again. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, for any Jew who heard that phrase, Son of Man, Son of Man meant anointed one, disciple, Messiah, the one who would deliver Israel from all its woes? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man answered, Who is he, sir? Already addressing Jesus with deep respect. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me. Tell me. So that I may believe in him. Tell me. How many people are asking that in our neighborhoods today? Tell me so that I may believe in him. So often we're predisposed to believe that people don't want to believe. There are people like this blind man who are opening their eyes. And they're waiting for someone to tell them that they may believe. And Jesus, Jesus answers, he says, you have now seen him. Again, the word seen. You have now seen him. In fact, <laughs> he is the one speaking to you, with you. Whoa. Ah. And then he answers and this is critical. Then the man said, "Lord, I believe." Lord. Of course, Lord is the word that a servant uses. He'd already used that servant posture before the presence of the living Christ. Lord, I believe. But you know, belief, there has to be a certain quality to believe. You know the passage in James. The demons believe and tremble, James writes. Oh, but this man, he did something beyond just believing in Jesus and trembling. It says that he worshipped him. Ah, the demons don't do that. They do not worship Jesus. They live in constant, perpetual rebellion against Jesus. But not this man. He received sight. (laughs) He saw who it was before him, and he Worshipped him. And then the next words are so interesting. Jesus says, For judgment I have come into the world. We know that in John chapter 3, he says that the Son of Man came not to judge the world, but to save the world, and that is true. But listen to what Jesus says here He says, For judgment I have come into this world. So that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Short answer, yes. And he says, if you were blind or if you had admitted to being blind, you would not be guilty of, and here comes the word again, sin see, sin, essentially, sin is a disposition of the heart, a principle of the heart. It's it's saying to God, my will be done, not your will. That's at the very core of our sinful nature, which we all are born with. And in Christ, because of his sacrifice on the cross that blindness is dealt with and is given a death penalty. And that's why he says, take up your cross daily. (laughs) Kill that so that you can live. Unless a grain, a seed, be put into the ground and die It will not produce life. And so Jesus basically is saying here, uh, I am the door. I am the entrance into the sheep pen. And he says to the blind man, come on in. Where I am, there is true security. The synagogue is no longer a secure place to be my church, where my presence is revered and honored and where I am worshiped, where I am heard and people listen, that is where you find safety, security, pardon from sin, the washing away of those things that do not belong in your life. And Jesus says, come on in. You are a part of my security. And, you know, I, I didn't really realize this. But when Jesus speaks of being the gate to the sheep pen, I thought, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That he, and as, as, he talks about being the gate, and then he talks about being the shepherd. I, I, it seemed like a little bit of a disconnect. But recently I heard that in those days, the sheep pen had a very, very narrow, narrow opening. And at night, when all the sheep had come in and were bedded down, uh-huh, the shepherd himself was the door. He was the security that kept them safe at night. Wow, that's powerful in Christ. Even in the midst of our dark world, we are safe if we walk through that door. And then when day comes, he gets up <laughs> and he says, Come on, sheep, listen to my voice. That's where your security continues when you leave the sheep pen. When you leave here this morning, you listen to the shepherd and you will be secure no matter where you go. That's where we find our security. That's where we belong. You see, this blind man who now saw on two different levels found security in Jesus and his community, his church. Now, folks, that communicates in every culture. People want to be secure. They want to have security. But the only true fundamental security that any human being can have on the face of the earth is to be in Christ. In him. We are who we are. And we truly belong. His sheep hear his voice. And follow him. I am the good shepherd. I give my life. I lay down. The Greek says. I lay down. And that's where. Yeah. He lays down his life. On behalf of the sheep. When he died on the cross. He says I am the door. It is my blood that brings salvation to you. I lay down my life. And you can trust me. Because I laid down my life for you. I laid it all on the line for you, and I ask you to lay it all on the line for me. That communicates. God wants to communicate himself to us, his truth, his life, and what a joy it is. Whether we're in Ypsilanti, Michigan, or Sao Paulo, Brazil, or Manaus, the Lord has opened up an opportunity for us to serve Venezuelan immigrants, who started the church? And you know these Venezuelans from the Free Methodist Church of Venezuela—they have been a blessing to us. Oh my! They have gone through hell, and they've come out shining. What a joy to work with her! I am—I'm humbled to work with them. They express gratitude towards our participation in pastoring the church in Manaus. I'm not there, but you know once every four or five months. I live in São Paulo, but I, I travel to Manaus, which is a four-hour four four-hour plane ride. Can't get there by car. You can only get to Manaus by car from the north, not from the south. And uh, it's been a blessing to see these brothers and sisters and to be a part of training them. We have four students from our Venezuelans who are learning the Bible, learning uh, the Christian doctrine in Portuguese, not in Spanish. Spanish and Portuguese are really close, and they've picked up Portuguese really quick. It's fun. Every now and then, when I speak Portuguese, a little bit of Spanish comes out, because I, I spend time with them. Thanks for letting me share it with you this morning. May I pray with you, dear church? Gracious.